1966, my parents went to the local Kmart and bought me the Ultraman costume. When I put on the outfit, I became Ultraman. This suit of steel, well, actually polyester, not only helped me to bag a lot of candy on October the 31st, but for several years, I saved many and millions of people from space monsters and even rescued a few damsels in distress. Why has no space monster ever come after you? Because I got to them before they got to you. You're welcome. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, uh, whether you're online at Speedway or here, and tell them what was the superhero you always wanted to be when you were growing up as a kid. Go ahead and do that. So whether you chose Ultraman or Superman or Wonder Woman, uh, I have a point to make. And that is, that's fine and dandy when you're a kid to pretend that you are a superhuman hero. But when you become an adult, all right, it's time to put away childish things. We are mere humans it's really time to take off our cape because that is what we are. We are mere humans trying to get through the day, right? Uh, you know, I'm not faster. You're not faster than a speeding bullet. I'm just trying to finish the day without getting so far behind, you know? I'm not more powerful than a locomotive. I'm just trying to get to the end of the day without throwing my back out, right? I'm an adult. I, you know, I'm not, I can't leap tall buildings in a single bound. That's ridiculous, right? I'm just trying to get up a flight of stairs without being winded, right? <laughs> that is, until I read in the Bible, the word of God, these words in Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 through 20. I'm gonna read them slowly and invite you to take it in. Here it is. I pray that your heart's will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are rich and glorious, his rich and glorious inheritance. Now here it is. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, right? What Paul is saying, get this, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you who believe. Let me say it again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. One more time. I'm looking for something. I'm not preaching better than you're responding. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I think I even heard some online people at that time. So maybe we need to hold off taking off our capes so soon and dive a little deeper into the word of God to see what this might be all about, how we might tap in to this power. And what we've been discovering over these last three weeks is that the key to tapping into the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, everything you need to know about it, is found in the pattern of the life of Jesus, that Jesus literally showed us the roadmap, the way. He did three specific things, and they must be done in order. You can't get to step three until you do step one. You can't get to step three until you also do step two after step one. One, two, three. So let me review for those of you who might be new. The first thing that Jesus did, the first step he took, is that he emptied himself of control. He emptied himself of control. When Jesus left the heavens, he left behind his access to power. When Jesus left the heavens, he put himself in a vulnerable place and became a human. And he took on all the limitations that come with being human. Even though he is and always be, will be 100% God, he did something very unique when he left the heavens, seated right next to the Father, and came to walk amongst us for 33 years. He gave up access to his unlimited knowledge and his unlimited power. He emptied himself of control, and then he turns around and invites us to do the same thing, but with a little twist. If you're taking notes, write this step down. We must empty ourselves of the illusion of control. The reality is we don't need to put ourselves in a vulnerable position. We are in a vulnerable position. We just need to admit it. It's like the alcoholic who steps into AA and starts working through the 12 steps. Step one. You know, we admit that we are powerless and that our lives have become completely unmanageable. We need God's help. That's step one, right? That's step one. Step two, Jesus aligned his entire life to the will of the Father. You have to understand that Jesus did not know everything when he walked the earth for 33 years. For example, when the disciples asked him, when is the kingdom coming? Uh, He said, I don't know. Only the Father knows. And so, therefore, we find a very strong pattern in the life of Jesus where he is consulting the Father every single step of the way. For Jesus to make a single step, he is praying to the Father Uh, over and over again, and then he turns around and he invites us to do the same thing. Why? Because we never had unlimited knowledge, even though some of us walk around like we do, right? You know somebody like that? Maybe you're married to him or her, right? Uh, But the reality is we've never had access to it, but we're being invited to acknowledge it and to take the step to as Jesus took We, too, must, write this down, align our entire life to the will of the Father. Now, why is this so important? Last week when we were together, I introduced you to a very powerful biblical idea, and that is this. 
The power of God is reserved for the will of God. The power of God is reserved for the will of God exclusively. It's just one of the reasons why that many um, people become Christians and they get a little disillusioned because they thought their life was going to be a little bit more empowered. But here is the newsflash. What likely happened is that you were wanting the Holy Spirit's power to be unleashed on your will. And it doesn't work that way. The power of the Holy Spirit is exclusively reserved for the will of God. And it's why many people never experience the empowerment that's available to us because we are not willing to take step one or to take step two. But I double dog dare you to give it a try. Jesus taught us that when he aligned, when we align our lives to the will of the Father, that we will receive the empowerment from the Holy Spirit to see it through. What that means is of the 39 miracles that Jesus performed during his 33 years, all of them were in the center of the will of the Father, and therefore the Holy Spirit empowered him to accomplish them. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is seeking the will of the Father over his own will and discovers that it is the will of the Father for him to be crucified. And as soon as Jesus aligned his life with that will, the Holy Spirit empowered him to see it through so that he was able to accomplish something for us we could not do for ourselves, only he could do it, and that is, in his crucifixion, when he gave up his last breath, he provided the way back to the Father. But in addition to that, the Holy Spirit not only gave him the empowerment to see the crucifixion through, but in three days, he conquered death and rose again from the dead. This is what happened to him, okay? It's pretty good news, pretty big deal. Now we have step three as we wrap up the series. Step one, we must empty ourselves of the illusion of control. Step two, we must align our entire life to the will of the Father. Step three, are you ready for it? Wait for it, wait for it. Empowerment, empowerment. Now we're talking. Now is the unleashing of the power promised to us in step three. I want to call your attention to Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, listen to this, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of of the devil because God was with him. That's interesting. I mean, Jesus is God, 100%. And as God, he voluntarily emptied himself of his power so that when he walked amongst us, he did not have access to it. But here, as in other places, we are told that when Jesus was 30 years old at the baptism of John, John the Baptist, that the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and empowered his life, gave him access to divine power, and with this power, he performed all of the miracles that he performed. 
How did he do it? It says here, because God was with him. Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was God. Yeah, Jesus is 100% God, but for this short period of time, he did not give himself access to this unlimited power. Now that he's back next to the Father, he's got it all back again. But during this period of time, he didn't have access to it. But there's two other people that are part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father stayed up in the heavens. The Holy Spirit came and lived with Jesus and empowered him for the 33 years of his life. And then the scripture turns around and tells us that we have access to that same kind of power. Now, the word power in the Greek language that they would write, whether in the Gospels or in these letters or in the book of Acts, is the Greek word dunamis. Say dunamis. Dunamis. Uh, This word is where we get our word. Anybody? Anybody? Dynamite. The word is dynamite. What does that mean? Believers in Jesus have access to spiritual dynamite that can blow through any obstacle that we have faced that is aligned against the will of the Father in our life or in our world. So the question becomes, how do we ignite or detonate this spiritual power in our life? And here is step three, okay? Feast your eyes on this. It's a bit trickier than you might suspect. Here it is, ready? We must not try harder in our own strength, but yield harder to the Holy Spirit. See that? You say, how in the world does one do that? Well, what I want to do is to take you back to the Old Testament and introduce you to a guy named Zerubbabel. Uh, Zerubbabel, great name for your next boy. Zerubbabel, right? So Zerubbabel has been called by God to rebuild the temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians years ago. So this is a call of God on his life, and therefore he is aligned to the will of the Father, right? But the rebuilding of the temple was going to be insurmountable for a variety of reasons, and primarily because of all the enemies that they had around them. It was going to be absolutely insurmountable. But an angel comes to Zerubbabel and tells him how he's going to pull it off. And you've likely seen this verse before, but you may not have seen it in its context. It's found in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Not by might, not by power, by my spirit, Lord. Remember that song? That's the song. But the context was given to Zerubbabel. The building of the temple is compared to a mountain that stands before Zerubbabel that no way in his strength is he going to be able to overcome this. He will not be able to accomplish it simply by trying harder in his own strength or power, the strength to level this mountain will come from the Spirit of God within him. Jesus confirms this in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Even just a grain of faith can detonate the power of the Holy Spirit to move or blow up and level 
a mountain, whatever that may be in your life. And here's a principle that new believers, uh, it takes them a while to really understand this, but you will see, even before the service closes, this principle um, in, the, in the works. And, and basically, when followers of Jesus mature, they get super excited about aligning their lives to the will of the Father. They really do, because they're, they're tired of trying to do things in their own will, because it just doesn't work out. And they're super excited because God's a good God, and he's leading you to a place bigger than you've ever dreamed of. And so when they align their life to the will of the Father, what they discover that is an, it unleashes the power of the Spirit and things become easier, not harder. As a matter of fact, some Christians mess this up. They align their life to the will of the Father, and then they try to do it in their own strength. They try to do it outside of the timing that God had in mind, and it just looks a bit ridiculous. And it's hard. It's like pushing a string uphill, right? But for the maturing believer, they realize they're in the center of God's will, and they just relax, and they yield, and they say, the Holy Spirit is going to work this out, and it just becomes easier. They're not striving, and they do amazing things, and they live a blessed life. Now, what I'd like to do to wrap up the series is to give you a modern-day example of how all of this works so that, one, you can understand it, but so you can also be convinced that this is not something that just Jesus experienced or Paul or Zerubbabel, but it is available to you if you believe. Is that okay? So this is a West Sider. Her name is Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer, uh, in her growing up years, uh, had a rough go of things. Uh, her family moved around a lot, so there wasn't a lot of that stability that a kid really likes. Uh, uh, several times in those moves, her family was homeless, and that created a bit of trauma. Uh, she experienced abuse. Uh, in, her, uh, in her early years. And so she sort of enters into adulthood with a bit of a negative number, right? Like some of us have as well. And so fast forward to just last year, she made a series of bad decisions. Uh, one of the bad decisions was she was living with a boyfriend and the boyfriend broke up with her and uh, left her uh, homeless. And she had been estranged from her parents for a, a period of three years, and she's homeless, and it spirals her into depression. In addition to that, she was $10,000 into debt uh, and uh, super struggling, so she started drinking more uh, excessively, and she started doing more drugs, and those drugs got more intense to numb the pain, and to try to get her out of her depression. All of that is pretty common stuff. And uh, she humbled herself and reunited with her parents and moved back home, kind of a prodigal daughter type story. And one of the things that she does to help around the house is she mows her parents' yard, which happens to be 17 acres. So she's got plenty of time to think about things, and she's on the riding tractor, and she's hit bottom. She's sick and tired of being sick and tired. And as a follower of Jesus, she simply says a prayer, God, I want a lion's den experience. Now, if you're not familiar with what she's talking about, she's referring to an Old Testament character by the name of Daniel, who 
was um, in a lion's den in a pit filled with hungry lions for the purpose of mauling and killing him and eating him because of how he stood for his faith in his lifetime. He was in that pit. And here's the deal with a lion's den experience. There's no way in heaven, that's how we say it in church, there's no way in heaven that Daniel is getting out of that pit of lions in his own strength. The only way he's going to wake up out of the pit tomorrow is because God intervened. Jennifer wanted a lion's den experience. She wanted to once again stand for her faith, but to be in such a dangerous situation that she would recognize the only way she's getting out of this is by the power of God in her life. And so what you have to do, you can't just pray that prayer, you know, you have to, you have to take step two, which is aligning your life, beginning step by step to align your life to the will of the Father. And so she started to make good decisions. The first thing she said she did was she started reading her Bible every day. And that's good because we already learned this, but the will of God is found in the word of God. You can't align yourself to something you don't know about. And so she got into the word every day. I recommend that to you. The second thing she did is she got into what we call around here an A2 community, a small band of brothers or sisters who are encouraging each other and moving in the same direction. That's the second thing that she did. And that was in September. Uh, This was June when she made the decision, September. And now in October, she makes another really good decision. October 9th of last year, her birth date, she decides no more alcohol, no more drugs. So she went sober. A series of good decisions. Then in November, her mother comes to her and says, listen, uh, the city has received a grant uh, that they are giving to Hope Faith, an organization that deals with homelessness in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, they are doing a five-month program to get the homeless out of the encampments at Westport and downtown uh, during the uh, winter months uh, so they don't freeze to death, which turned out to be a really good decision because we had one of the coldest winters in 30-plus years, right? And uh, they, are, uh, they're, they're, they need workers. And maybe in addition to your full-time job, because Jennifer was $10,000 into debt, uh, maybe to help pay off your debt, you can apply for a night supervisor's position right, and still keep your day job, and that might help you with your debt. Jennifer said yes. She applies for the job, and boom, she gets it, right? She gets it. So now fast forward to January of 2021, January 4th to be specific. She's supposed to arrive at the job only to get an email informing her that the manager of the project has been let go. So she feels this nudge. We talked about it last week, this still small voice that she should apply for the manager's job. Even though it clearly stated that to be hired for the manager's job, you have to have had either experience running a homeless shelter or you have to be a licensed cakes worker, of which Jennifer is neither. So she feels, as a matter of fact, she tells her A2 community that she believes that this, this, this project for five months has more to do than paying off her debt that God's got something else she senses stirring. So she applies for the manager's job and boom, she gets it, right? 
obstacle mountain move. But then they told her, but you're gonna not, you can't work nights, you have to work during the day. Well, she didn't want to lose her job or leave her job at the AMC theaters where she was having full benefits and a 401k for this experience. And so she's got another mountain in front of her. So what does she do? She does it a little unconventional step. Instead of going to her supervisor to put in her notice, she uh, goes uh, to her, the director, a couple above, who then goes to the person above, and they made a decision they never make at AMC Theaters, and they decided that they're going to make an exception. They're going to make an exception. Things are getting easy here. She's going to make an exception. She's going to be able to stay on part-time at AMC Theaters while she's doing this project and maintain her full benefits and her 401k. Boom, mountain move. But there is more, which is really super exciting. So what ends up happening is that... Um, um, uh, is that uh, the, the vision of Hope Faith uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an organization is not just to get the homeless off the street, but rather to take shame out of their story and treat them with, as basic, with basic human rights and to uh, honor them. And so instead of it actually being called a shelter, it was called a dorm room, uh, because the grant gave them the resources to provide hotel rooms for uh, what ended up being upwards to 75 homeless people, the youngest one month old, the oldest 57 years old. And not only that, talk about dignity, they got three meals a day, they got access to medical services, dental, vision, mental health services, but there were more problems, more mountains. One of the problems was the security guards were not treating the homeless with dignity. That was a problem. And number two, the other workers who were hired for the project aren't showing up on time and they're not getting along with each other. No problem because Jennifer has tons of experience dealing with all of this. Not. An additional challenge is that the home is not filled up with, with people who have no struggles. It's filled up with uh, drug addicts, prostitutes, and many people struggling with schizophrenia. Again, Jennifer is facing a mountain. Matter of fact, it is at this point she realizes this just might be the answer to her prayer. This just might be her lion's den experience. So with a mere slingshot and five smooth stones in hand and the Holy Spirit within her, she goes to work. The first thing she does is she whips the security guards into shape and she provides a culture where people are showing up and getting along. Wow. She tells me the story about one of the, the homeless that came into the dorm and uh, the lady um, assaulted one of the security guards, sexually assaulted one of the security guards. Yeah. And so Jennifer, you know, has to pull her aside and say, you can't do that, right? And the lady said back to her, why not? People have been doing it to me all my life, and no one's ever told them to stop. And Jennifer starts to cry. And there's a moment of empathy there because she realizes she's a broken, wounded human being. That lady leaves the shelter for the day, and she comes back in the evening, and they notice that something was not right with her. The medical staff sees her. In five minutes, they have her to the hospital. She's got either alcohol poisoning or a drug overdose. They pump her stuffing, and they bring her back to the dorm and tell Jennifer that if this lady did not have this dorm room, 
she would have died tonight all alone on the streets of Kansas City. And Jennifer is beginning to see how God is moving in her midst. Now, another thing that happened is, as I told you, the, the, the dorms are filled with drug addicts, people who struggle with schizophrenia, and prostitutes. But whenever they were in the home, people noticed that even though those problems didn't go away for those people, that when they were in the home, there was a sense of grace and a sense of peace. Something had happened in the nature of that apartment complex. And we also noticed that at the end of the experiment, uh, only three people that lived in it left voluntarily. The rest of them were either reunited to their families or found more permanent shelter for them. And you might have noticed that the encampments over by Westport and by City Hall are gone and that we did not have the riots in our city that many other cities experienced but it gets even better. Jennifer receives a call from Hope Faith uh, that the mayor, Mayor Lucas, uh, wants to come see this project because of its success. So Jennifer thinks she's just gonna open the door and let him in, and that's the end of it, but Mayor Lucas ends up talking to her for an hour. The news media shows up, they want some of Lucas's time, and Mayor Lucas said, I'll give you an interview, but first you must talk with Jennifer because she's the one who knows what's going on around here. And then during the news interview, the mayor turns to Jennifer and says, Jennifer, with the success of this program, do you believe that we could scale this so that we might be able to take it to more homeless that are in our city? Several news pieces were done on this story. I just want to show you one and introduce you to Jennifer. Take a look at this. Talks between city leaders and organizers at two homeless encampments in downtown and at Westport ramped up this week. KCTV5's Carolina Cruz is live now from the Westport site. So Carolina, what are people there saying that they need? They want stability, and that comes in the form of jobs, but also housing. But it's really not that easy when you're dealing with people who maybe haven't had a place to live for months, sometimes years. And sometimes there are cases where people prefer options like this one. They'd like to be outdoors where they can come and go without any restrictions. It's why the city needs to find a few solutions. Nothing's ever going to happen overnight. And it's really hard when you're building a bridge and walking on it but somebody's got to start somewhere. Jennifer Russell works at Hope Faith, the homeless assistance group. While shelters offer relief, they are temporary, and she wants to see funding for projects like the one she's helped run since January at a local hotel. I mean, this is the sort of thing that I think we need to see Kansas City doing more of. The program has helped 75 people with full-time housing in a safe environment, ages ranging from one month to 57 years old. So far, seven households have transitioned to permanent homes. It's a type of lasting change the city wants, but it takes time and money. It gets very easy to make things about numbers because funding has to come from somewhere. The program was a pilot funded with federal dollars from the CARES Act. People who qualified were offered dental, vision, medical, and help with job applications. But when funds run out by the end of the month, the program dissolves. We will find money to support this program. Mayor Lucas says the city will use the model to scale up and assist hundreds more. Yes, it's going to take a long time. And no, it's not going to be easy. But yes, it's very worth it because these are individuals and humans that we're talking about. That's pretty cool, right? But there's more. 
Two days later, the city, through the mayor's leadership, approved expanding the program from the 75 to the 500 with ultimately, essentially eradicating you know, homelessness. And think about this with me, okay? Uh, less than a year ago, Jennifer, who's now leading this exemplary program, was homeless herself. This was aired on April the 6th. She was three days away from celebrating her six months of sobriety. That's pretty cool, right? And on top of that, she was able to accomplish the first goal, which she was able to reduce her debt down from $10,000 to $2,000, right? That is pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool, right? So I believe, in fact, that Jennifer got her lion's den experience, that there is no way that this story could have been told or been pulled off in her own strength, that God showed up in a mighty way. Wouldn't you say? But don't, yeah, don't just, but don't just, don't just take it from me. Let's hear it from Jennifer's own lips. So please welcome one of your own Westsiders, Jennifer Russell to the stage. Woo! Okay, so uh, uh, when I first started this series, we talked about an empowerment scale, uh, that if you felt, uh, I am powerless, then you give yourself a zero, one, or a two. On the other end, 10 was, I feel empowered. So at the beginning of this experience for you, uh, which was not even a year ago, where would you push yourself on the empowerment scale? Uh, definitely a zero or a one. I was pretty low. <laughs> okay, yeah, depressed, struggling. Couldn't see your way out of it, right? Right. Okay. It, was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Okay, now, not even a year later, you're the same person, right? Mm -hmm. So now where do you place yourself on the empowerment scale? Um, after this whole event and after everything that God's done, definitely like a 8 to 10 up there. So eight. pretty high. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> Would you say that you did this in your own strength? Definitely not. No. Um, it was definitely God coming in and, and taking control. I very much just showed up and listened. That's pretty cool. Well, so then maybe actually it's time to put on our capes again if you're a follower of Jesus. Because here's the reality, Jennifer, and I think this is a good visual for everybody that knows Jesus, is that the truth is you are just a mere human. Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> But it turns out, as a believer in Jesus, you have a superhero living inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. And all God's people said? Yeah. Amen. Let's give Jennifer a hand. Woo! So the last service, uh, I was back in the green room with Jennifer, and she said, you know, just privately, there's something I want to tell you, is that uh, when I started coming to Westside, and this whole thing was unfolding, another good decision I made is I started tithing. And I said, well, that's a good decision. And she said, and I, you know, I forgot to stop it, you know, so I continued to do it. And, uh, and I, I really feel like that's another step. I walked out of the green room, and someone met me backstage, and they were crying, and they said, how much debt did you say Jennifer still had? And I said, $2,000. And she says, not anymore. All right, okay. All right, okay. She didn't know that was coming. Remember we said obedience precedes 
blessing. And God's spirit is at work today, not only in Jesus and Paul and Zerubbabel and in Jennifer, but he wants to be at work in your life as well. Amen? Do you want it, church? Do you want it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, stand to your feet. And I want you to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes so no one's looking. This is just between you and God. And if you're in on this, if, you, if you're in on this, I want you to take your hands and just hold them out to God and say this prayer after me. Dear God, I empty myself of the illusion of control. I need your help. Dear God, I align my entire life to your will. Show me and I will do it. Dear God, I yield my life to the power of the Holy Spirit. Give me the power to see it through. And now, Father, I pray over these, your people, and I ask you out of the abundance of your knowledge, the abundance of your power, and the abundance of your love to shower your power upon these people as they dare align their lives to what you have in store for them. And I know, I know you're going to work mightily amongst them. Let them stop long enough, like we did today with Jennifer's story, to see it. You're at work. And Father, for any that has not trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do that today, knowing full well that they have no access to any of this power unless the Holy Spirit lives in them. And the only way the Holy Spirit's going to live in them is if they, if they are forgiven by the blood of Christ. And I pray that they would make that move today. And for all of us, Father, whatever we're dealing with in this life, with pain, discouragement, depression, physical ailments, mental struggles, I pray, Father, that we are reminded that at the end of the day, when you return, for those who know you, that you're going to raise us from the dead. You are going to give us a new body where we live with you forever and ever, just like you promised. Let us take that with us as we leave here. We are in a no-lose situation filled with hope because of the power of your spirit within us. And all of God's people said, amen.